Welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast with Nathan Shooter. To discover more insightful episodes, blogs, videos, and resources, visit nathanshooter.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode. Thanks so much for joining me. This podcast and blog series is all about this one idea, and that is this to find simple things that we can do to create significant outcomes so that we can live to accomplish. And today it's gonna be a really useful episode in relation to time management. We all have 24 hours in a day, but it's how we spend them that is so wildly different. And today we're gonna be chatting with Danny Heil. So Danny is an author and also a time management expert. So today you're gonna discover some really useful, actionable tips that you can implement to save you time as well as create time for new things that you never thought that you were able to do. I'm always looking for ways and resources that I can help you to live a life that's accomplished. And so I'm really excited that Danny has agreed to give away some of the chapters from his latest book. So if you head over to nathanshooter.com forward slash blog forward slash 12, you can get that for free. So make sure you head over there and grab that and take some notes as you journey through this interview with us today. So Danny, welcome and thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It's a really, really important subject, time management, and it's one that we can try to run away from, but there's no avoiding it. We all have 24 hours in a day, and both the Prime Minister and your plumber and you and I, we all have the same amount of time each day, but it's what we do with them that matters most. And I guess with this new book, you're aiming to help people with that. Your book is called Time to Start. And I think that's a really great title. It's very straightforward and certainly tells you what you're going to be doing in the book. So you've met a lot of different people over your, I guess you've had a, almost it sounds like a few different lives. You've had a, a career in the police force and you've um, been selling TV advertising and you've done a whole bunch of things with um, Microsoft incubation teams and all sorts of things. So you must have met a lot of different people. And from what we said before the interview, you found that there's like, I guess, a common thread amongst all these different people. And that is this, that they all have some kind of like side project or something that I guess they haven't been able to give their full extent of their attention to because of time. So tell us about the book and your thoughts on time and how to find it. Yeah, sure. So um, as we kind of alluded to before, uh, I meet a lot of people in, in all different walks of life and Often they have some sort of side project that they want to start, whether it be a business or, or something else that they're passionate about. Um, and I always get hear the excuse that you know they don't have time to start or they don't have the resources to start. Um, and more often than not, it is time. So um, that's why I put this together. So it's actually, um, there's steps through the book that, that walk you through, but it's about asking yourself the right questions um, and working out what's important to you before you focus your time on it. A bit of a deficit these days that we have people who are willing just to do things and um, I guess to to just do what is required of them. But maybe more of us need to, to question things, you know, and to be curious about what it is that consumes our time. Um, so tell us about um, creating your personal mission. So, I mean, when people sometimes hear, you know, you've got to have missions and values and goals. Some people think that's a bit woo-woo. And for me, I mean, I love it. But for you, what does um, that look like, creating your personal mission? Yeah, I actually, um, 
got the idea from Stephen Covey when he wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And when I first saw it, I thought exactly the same as you, that, uh, or, or that some people might think is that emission might be a little bit out there. And, um, and again, it's probably taking a bit more of my time than is needed. Um, however, if you think of an example I give in the book is um, if you're on a boat and the boat is, you know, you're in the middle of the night, um, you can't, you know, you can't really see much of what's going on, but there's a big storm outside um, and the boat's rocking. Um, but then you kind of get a sense of calm because, you know, the boat was built for a purpose. So if you think of the mission statement as your purpose um, and in such a noisy world, it can guide everything you do. It can guide your goals um, and it, um, it is a reminder of your values uh, when you're making a decision of, of whether to do something or not. Yeah, and I think um, I'm very much um, a person who's always um, subscribed to the idea of having very specific goals, um, but it's really only been in the last maybe year or so that I've gone, maybe um, goals itself should be a little more vague than the Nathan Shooter version. So I was very detailed about it. And so my, my view now is that I do list my goals at the beginning of every year, and then I see them now as a mountain in the distance. And as long as I'm moving toward the mountain, then the track may change or I might have to cross some rivers or whatever to get to it. But as long as I've got my eye on the mountain, um, and I think it's very tempting sometimes to be put off um, when things circumstantially don't go the way that they imagine in your mind that they should. So is that what you mean when you're saying how um, missions are meant to be you know, resilient and then kind of all-purpose, kind of for all weather? Um, a, a, mission, a mission can change over time. So you can actually change your mission statement um, and, and revise it, if you will. Um, it just acts as an overall guide. So your goals are more specific about um, what you want and by when. Whereas a mission statement is a little bit more vague, but it's about your personal values. Um, so if you think in terms of what you might want to leave behind as a legacy, um, or what you might want someone to say as morbid as it sounds, um, you might want someone to say in your eulogy at your funeral or something like that. So um, overall, if you think, if I died tomorrow, what would people say about me? Um, and, and I think that's kind of um, alluding to what your mission should be. That final sense that people would have, like you said, morbidly after the fact that when you've lived, but more currently, it's like, this is my driving motivation and our goals are just kind of how we express that and how we get that done really isn't it yeah definitely and the, and the goals are you know you have to be a little bit more specific with your goals um as i say you, you have to um you know have in mind a when um and a how much and and that sort of thing so um, yeah so in the book um in the chapter about set your own goals here mm -hmm. um i noticed that you've got here the first line is you can't eat a whole apple in one bite yeah. Although some people would argue that you probably could. <laughs> I'm sure there's people that can. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so what are your systems for goal setting? Because as you mentioned, there's the SMART system. Um, so what other systems have you included for people to be guided by? Yeah, so um, the system, I, I've, I used to use the SMART formula for setting goals. Um, and there were a few goals that I didn't actually reach. Um and there were a few elements that were missing that I, I learnt along the way. Um, so Dr. Mike Clayton's actually come up with the, the smartest formula, which I, to me is, is the best um, I've seen yet. Um, 
it still has elements of the SMART formula, um, but it, it tells you to be specific in setting your goals, um, to set goals that are, are meaningful to you, which is something that's not normally, it's not covered in the SMART formula. So um, that's something that took me a little bit of a, a time to learn because um, sometimes goals would conflict with my own values. Um, it might be something that I was expected to do rather than something that, that meant something to me. Um, they should be action oriented so in other words there should be something that I can do now to make it happen or to take a step towards it um, they should be responsible um, again it should be aligned with your personal values uh, should be towards what you want so you should think about um, I guess the desired outcome rather than what you're steering away from um, so I don't want to be fat is not a good idea um, for a goal, um, it's more that I want to be skinny or I want to look a certain way. Um, so set it towards what you want. Um, they should also be exciting. It should be something that gets you up in the morning, makes you passionate. Um, something that's supported. Um, so supported by the people around you and supported by the resources you have um, or can access. Um, and time bound. So time bound is in the, the SMART formula as well, but uh, you should be specific about when you want to achieve it. If you haven't achieved it, it doesn't mean you, you pack up and go, but that's when it's time to review uh, what you could have done better or um, yeah, revise your way of doing things. Um, people are driving or walking the dog or exercising as they listen to this. So don't worry if you haven't been able to pull over and write this down. We're going to be using some of this, what we discussed, in the show notes. And um, just so that you can, you know, get also a copy of the book as well. We can tell you where you can buy that um, along in the show notes as well. So I really like that meaningful thing that you mentioned in the smartest, as in um, the the extra letters in the acronym. Um, so for you, what was that thing that was um, a conflict um, for you, so you talked about having the values that were, I guess, in direct opposition to what you were expected to do. So tell us more about that. In my case, I think it was a work situation, uh, and the the work situation was, um, I guess, what I was expected to make in terms of money, or what I was expected to conform to as far as company values went, um, and those values weren't necessarily my own. Um, and the amount of money that a, that the company wanted me to make wasn't necessarily what, you know, didn't align with what um, I wanted. So, I mean, that can be tricky too. Um, in the situation I'm in now, I'm able to align my personal goals with the company's goals um, and find a way that that can, that can happen. But, um, but yeah, certainly if you're just setting goals that conflict completely with what you believe, um, it's it's disaster you're not going to achieve any goals that you don't believe in yeah do you think that's actually possible to trick ourselves into doing that i mean you see plenty of unhappy people who are very rich <laughs> and um i think you know like for me being self-employed for the last 12 years um that's never been a problem to be able to set goals that 100 percent believed in so do you think it's possible if um, someone is in a situation like that you were in but they're in that situation today. Do you think there is some kind of middle ground that maybe you can give advice on on how they might be able to um, resolve it, maybe talk to their boss about um, why this is at odds with their values? Anything that you can share that you did that might help listeners? In my case, I, I wasn't confident in talking to management about it. 
Um, and I guess it, it depends on your situation. So if you've got a, a boss that's willing to listen, yes, I think that would be great. A lot of organizations now ask you your goals when you first go into it um, so that they have in their mind what you want to achieve in the, in the long run. So if you're not in a situation like that, if you're a, an animal rights activist and you're working at a slaughterhouse, it's time to change jobs. <laughs> um, but anything short of that, you can probably compromise with uh, management and, um, and yeah, find a way that you can make it work for both of you. Yeah, that's pretty solid advice there because I, I've at least noticed there's been a real about face with um, middle management talking when they're onboarding a new team member, how they actually have that duplex relationship of now asking what is it that's going to fulfill you, whereas it used to be, okay, now here are the boxes that you have to jump into. If um, as a listener, you're going through a, a bit of a problem, you know, a bit of a rough patch definitely hit us up on on the facebook page add a comment or something um and see if we can maybe help you and danny might be able to, to comment and um chuck in some um, some advice from him as well all right so in chapter four you've got um organize your schedule and then chapter five is make your own decisions so do you think it's important for people to get their schedule happening so that they can make decisions quickly and more accurately yeah sure i mean it's it's probably about uh, making decisions for how you spend your time. So even though those chapters are um, probably in some ways are around the wrong way, um, but the it's making decisions about how you, you focus your time. So in terms of scheduling, um, it's a little bit different to the way it used to work or the system I've found that, that works best is a little bit different to the old way. So the old way of time management was to set blocks of time um, aside in your calendar and the problem with that is you're always shuffling so these days people allow either too much time or not enough time um, and of course there's constant interruptions so instead of reshuffling things in the calendar uh, for things that need to be done urgently oops, um, for things that need to be done urgently or things that are important um, it's possible to put them on a to make them a to-do item um, and something that's, you know, assign something a top priority um, rather than just scheduling time in the calendar for that specific thing. So um, I would only schedule um, meetings and appointments that um, that you strictly must stick to. So, so do you kind of um, view it as when you're scheduling time that given that every day is a movable feast, like things change and it we're quite fluid in what can disrupt us during the day so are you saying perhaps um, it's more effective not to schedule everything minute by minute yeah that's that's what I believe so I used to schedule everything minute by minute and I would actually have to reshuffle appointments um, and the same would happen happen with a priority list so if you look at my way of prioritizing in the book uh, my personal prioritization used to be numbering things you know I'd have a, a one to ten um, and the problem is something else you know, you finish number one, um, and then all of a sudden number five becomes more urgent. So you're renumbering everything again. And um, my way now basically is to make, to put three things aside that are the most important, the most significant things you can do today. Decide the number one thing you're going to work on, the thing that's going to have the biggest impact, and work on that first and nothing else. And you don't number the other two. When you finish that first one, then you decide which next one you're going to do. Yeah, cool. So. 
it kind of gets rid of that guilt, doesn't it, from when you create um, this really beautiful list of one to five and then you kind of have to do number three first and you're like, oh, but there's this system that I've created and you feel guilty for not complying with your own system. So what does um, Danny's calendar look like? So if we were to open up your iCal on your phone or whatever, um, are we going to see blocks of like creative thinking or returning emails or making phone calls or how do you plan the things that just are the small things? So I I do try and um, allocate things in blocks, um, but I don't normally book something in my calendar. So um, as I said, it's just if it's a meeting or it's an appointment that I have to... Um, stick to a strict time that's what I do but if making 10 phone calls is the most important thing I need to do for the day um, then that goes on my to-do list and that'll be prioritized as the most important thing so I don't say I'm going to start at 9 and I'm going to finish at 10 if it takes until 10 30 it's still the most important thing I've got to do that day so rather than reshuffle everything um, that's how I work there's, we know there's thousands of different tech options and apps to manage our time. So some people just try from going from one to the other. Um, so it's really more about the principle of it than the technology. So tell us what have you tried and what's your view on the latest apps? So I think it's, it's not about the technology so much as, as someone's system. Um, I know people that are still using paper-based systems and that's working for them. Um, they have a diary on their desk and, and that's something they use. I don't test out every time piece of time management software. If I find something that's working for me, um, I stick with it. Uh, I've tried um, I've tried a few different ones. I've settled on for Calendar, Microsoft Outlook, um, simply because I have Windows. I have a Windows phone, um, and that's another thing. Whatever system you're on, choose something that works across that system. Um, I used to have a different phone. Um, to my type of computer uh, and then a different tablet and that can be while there are things they're they're making it better so that it it syncs across all devices um, there's no software that works quite as well as as the one that's native to the system so if you can find something that works across all of your devices um, great stick with that but I use um, Microsoft Outlook um, and I use Wonderlist as my um, task and, and project management Awesome. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, that ecosystem, whether you're an Apple or an Android person, um, finding something that will readily sync uh, with everything because then it's on every device seamlessly. Yeah, we've seen syncing go bad. <laughs> I'm intrigued here about make your own decisions, chapter five. You've got here slow decisions and quick decisions and understanding the, the difference. So what is a slow decision and what is a quick decision? Okay, so a slow decision is um, something you can deliberate on, you can take your time and make it. So it might be, it's still an important decision, but an example might be um, the career you want to get into. Um, Normally, you might make that decision coming out of school or after ending another job or another career, and you've got a little bit of of time to decide that. Uh, Whereas something that's um, important um, and also urgent you'd have less time to decide that. So, um, and that's something that's a quick decision. So you might not be able to do, collect all of the information that you need to, to make as sound a decision as you would like, but you might have to still make the decision because if you don't act, 
the consequences might be worse than if you do act. What I might do is ask you about your um, police career. So in um, some of the things you see in the media, like, you know, rightly or wrongly, however you see it, police officers do get uh, undue attention for some of the decisions they make in the moment. Um, whether they be um, good or bad decisions, they end up in the, in the limelight. But in the there and then, do we have enough evidence to go in to this house or do whatever? So what's an instance in your police career where you had to rely on your gut and rely on the information, like you said, that was given to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so probably the best example I can think of um, is one I've used in the book um, is when somebody armed themselves we when we first got the information we got it from the ambulance officers um, who were at the scene before us um, for you know what they thought was an unrelated reason but they found out that this person was armed and they weren't willing to go in until we got there we didn't know what they were armed with um, we went up and tried to communicate with the person through the door um, they kept the door locked. We heard a bit of a commotion going on inside. We know they had family members in there that they had made threats against. Um, so my partner made the decision to enter the house, which involved busting the door. Um, and I made the decision to go in and arrest the offender. Um, now, I would have loved more time to make that decision. Uh, and when something like that goes to court um, or goes to your superiors, they might have hours days, even weeks, to deliberate on that decision and work out what should have happened. Which ideally, if you have that, that's great. But if we didn't decide to act then, the consequences could have been far worse. So we made a decision with limited information. Um, and, th and that's the same in all walks of life. I think there are times when you, you won't have the information that you want. We see it all the time in the business world with competitive situations. Um, you have some information, you can see from the outside what the competitors are doing. Um, you don't know their, their internal plans, um, and that would be something that would be nice to have. But um, yeah, as it relates back to the business world, there's, um, there's limited information sometimes. It's the courage to actually act on a, on a bunch of information that you do have. I guess appreciating the information that you don't have. And, um, yeah, that's quite a really, when you think about it, like, um, busting down a door of someone's home, um, to make an arrest and you know, that's people's lives actually literally on, on the line, like with people in a home who are under threat from the other people who are in the home as well. Yeah. You just kind of have to go, well, um, here is my objective intellectual evidence that I've got, but then there's the neocortex kicking in as well to say, okay, there's some emotional influences here at work as well. So um, for people who aren't in business, who are, you know, got um, really great jobs and great families, we all end up in situations where we have to think to ourselves, am I making this decision with objective clinical evidence or just that gut emotional like vague feeling so what's the, what's the difference and how how should we i guess give weight to whether it's like one or the other uh i think there is a there is a place for both um there it always helps to have some information to make a decision but there's also a place for gut feeling um, and usually that gut feeling is related to something within yourself so we talked before about personal values we talked about setting goals that are meaningful to you um, and that are also responsible in terms of your um, ethics. So, yeah, if you've got a, 
a gut feeling that you should go with something, then that plays a part. Um, but you should also be be careful, I guess, not to act purely on emotion um, and try and listen to, to other signals around you. Like, it's great to be passionate about something, but um, but you should try and try and use your head a little bit as well. Scientists sure. have told us that our mouths move quicker than our um, brains, <laughs> apparently. I don't know if that's correct science I think that's or happening not. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, the decisions that we do have to make, you know, we make them. Then there's other decisions to act which is a different kettle of fish altogether. And so acting on our ideas or acting on our um, decisions is a whole nother ball game. So you've got here, opportunity never knocks. That I'm sure is the opposite of what we've mostly heard. Opportunity always knocks, doesn't it, Danny? So yeah, a lot of people are, are waiting in, and, and I, I see this often with, um, with colleagues and with friends, a lot of people are waiting for the right opportunity to come along. Um, but the people I see again and again who, who make a success of things are the people who go out and do something about it. Um, it's it's good to know something. It's it's even better to take some sort of action because you know something. For myself, I made a decision a couple of years ago where I just thought, you know what, there's a whole bunch of things that I want to achieve, but I don't feel qualified to do them. And I just thought, well, I'm going to do them anyway because at the end of, of, end of the day, well done is better than well said so you can like say a whole bunch of things but well done is like you've done it like whether it's done uh, you know a hundred percent to your um, talent and ability is another thing that procrastination thing and is a real reality for a lot of us and people who are you know got the responsibility of of family and they have a job they may or may not want to go and do this new venture because they think there's a lot at risk. What are the um, the main reasons we procrastinate, Danny? I mean, I know my reasons. <laughs> so what are some common ones that you've discovered with writing the book? So I've noticed that uh, if people aren't particularly motivated, um, if they don't have um, some direction, so I've, I've mentioned sort of the goals before, but if they don't have direction, um, they don't necessarily know what to do, so that can be a cause. Um, inability to make a decision, um, if you're not sure um, or you have some sort of fear of the process itself so um, or fear of failure in the process. So mm. fear of the process um, might be something that you, you make a decision to act on but you're not really comfortable. So in terms of fitness, for example, um, you might make a decision that you want to be slimmer or that you want to be fitter um, but before you can get to that goal and you've got to get out and go for a run or you've got to do something active that's not necessarily comfortable. So, um, yeah, that's fear of the process. Um, and fear of the consequences even in success. So, um, yeah, if, if you, I was nervous to come on this podcast, for example, that might hold me back from actually coming up to it. And I might come up with some other excuse to procrastinate and say, you know, I've got Christmas presents to wrap tonight, so I might come and see you another night, Nathan, with that, you know. Um, so anything along those lines uh, mm. can stop people. Something which really has resonated with me recently is I've been reading some books about opportunity costs. And that's like, what is the actual cost of you not making a decision to act? So like you were saying about, we want to become fitter. And so the uncomfortableness of that process is going out in the, in the hot summer Australian heat or the very harsh Australian winter. So, but the consequences of not doing that is poor health. 
we forget about the opportunity. So how can we motivate ourselves to push past procrastination? So I guess it's uh, that you're thinking about the process too much rather than the outcomes. Um, so the outcomes are something that people get inspired by and, and they think, I'm going to go and do this tomorrow. But when it comes to the process, they're, they're not all that motivated. Um, so I've mentioned something, and, and this is not my theory, but um, Tony Robbins talks about the pain-pleasure principle a lot. And that's something I've put in my book. So um, all of those things I mentioned, lack of motivation, direction, inability to make a decision, it's all because you're linking too much pain to that uh, process. Um, so instead of linking pain to it, you've got to find ways to link ple- pleasure to it. Um, and I list a whole heap of ideas for how you can do that on things that you don't necessarily want to do, um, even to going to the gym or going for a jog. So um, at the end of this book um, is something that I love, and that's reviewing. And I would say if I had to hazard a guess, maybe, I don't know, maybe only 20 or 30% of us really intentionally sit down and think about the 12 months that was just gone by. The reason why I love evaluating the year gone is because if you don't have that information, how do you set goals for the coming year? How important is it um, from what you wrote and researched in the book? How is impo- how important is it to uh, review and to look back on what you've done? Um, very. We, we talked a little bit before about long-term goals um, and I'm not sure what you're um, your time frame is for long year goals, but you know a big goal can be five years, it can be ten years, um, it could be even more. So even and I talk about breaking down into milestones along the way, so setting sub goals or little things that you can achieve along the way. Um, but the important part of that is I think you have to reward yourself when you do get some success. Um, so if you achieve a goal. Um, the review time is is the time to say yes, I deserve this reward. If you don't achieve the goal, um, you know some people walk away from it and, and don't look at it again and consider it a failure. Um, you might have achieved some of the goal. Um, reward yourself for the little things you have done, um, but you know perhaps don't give yourself that big reward for achieving the goal. Sit down and and review how you're going about it. So it might not be the goal that's the problem. Um, it might be um, how you've attempted to get there so what's your system for your review of year performance or even just um, your personal life and goals what are the systems that you use to to review and how often do you do them so system um, system is probably a bad word for that for that part of the process for me Um, it's not really a system at all it's just a matter of sitting down and looking at the goals and I do have systems for measuring along the way Um, so I guess I establish what would be a suitable time to to measure. I keep using the example of losing weight, but um, whether it's losing weight or, or saving money, I'll use saving money as an example. If you're going to measure your performance every hour, it's way too much and it's probably not going to change unless you're, uh, you're one of the richest people in the world and, and your money changes that quickly. Um, but it's probably more likely that you should measure every week or every month um, and just check those little incremental improvements. So there are systems I have in place to measure those things over the year, but sitting out down and reviewing is just a matter of, of being honest with myself um, and having a look at my goals and, and having a look at why I might have missed the goals. 
there is a temptation I see from a lot of people that to blame external factors for why mm. they haven't got there, and, and it may be the case. I mean, some people go through a rough time, and um, but it's important that you focus on what you could do differently, um, how you could alter the outcome, because whether those outside influences have affected you or not, you do have some control within yourself. So, what could you do ne- next time that could alter the outcome? People who have gone through quite a, quite amazing tragedies and traumas end up with a higher resolve than people who don't have those life-changing experiences. And it's probably a good thing if you don't have big tragic stories. But in a sense, like people who do go through those things, they have like this extra grit and they have this real mental shift for, I'm going to make um, something really beautiful of this really ugly circumstance. And that's really, really inspiring. And yeah, I think that's something that we can learn from without having to wait to go through that valley. When you have events that happen, we have control over how we respond to that to those circumstances. So like you're saying, there's uh, we don't have necessarily ultimate control over everything um, and I wouldn't want to control everything in my life. I think it's quite nice that I don't in that kind of odd way. But what I am conscious of doing is making sure I control how I respond to circumstances and to make sure that I'm doing that in a, in a healthy way, not only for me, but for those who are near and dear to me as well. So if we had to leave our listeners with some, some parting nuggets of, of wisdom, what one deposit of wisdom would you give to our listeners? We live in a much noisier world than we did a year ago certainly much noisier than we did 10 years ago. The future belongs to the people who can focus and block out the noise. So thanks for coming in, um, Danny. I'm really excited and um, pleased for you that you've got this book out. Time to Start is the title and how to find time to start your next big thing. So where can we connect with you online? So you can go to my website, dennyheil.com, or you can just go to amazon.com, type in time to start, and you can find a copy of my book on the list there. I really do hope that there was something there that really struck a chord with you. And until we connect again on the next episode, try and find simple and small things in your everyday life that can really lead to significant outcomes and help you to live to accomplish. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. To connect with Nathan, simply visit facebook.com forward slash Nathan Shooter blog or Twitter and Instagram using at Nathan Shooter. We also invite you to comment, ask questions and subscribe to the email editions at nathanshooter.com. Mm-hmm.